السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاطب النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وسلم تسليما Respected listeners Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to be aware of and to abstain from all sins, both external as well as internal. In a verse of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ رَبِّيَ الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهْرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطْنَ Say, my Lord has only forbidden the indecent sins. مَا ظَهْرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطْنَ those that are apparent thereof and those that are hidden. And one of the meanings of those that are hidden is internal. Internal sins are just as destructive, poisonous and sinful as external acts of disobedience, if not more. In fact, many of the internal sins are far more disruptive and insidious than the external sins. People balk at the idea of gambling imbibing intoxicants, committing fornication and adultery, because there are many steps to all of these sins. And sometimes, even if the desire is there, the obstacles to reach that sin prevent a person from committing them. But internal sins, are persistent, they're always there. And it can only be a thought, a feeling, which a person then allows to linger. So this is why internal sins, the sins of the heart, the diseases of the heart, are far more surreptitious, insidious, and possibly even more destructive. One of these deadly and dangerous sins of the interior, of the bathroom, of the heart and mind, is envy, hasad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has warned us in the Qur'an, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has warned us extensively in the hadith about the danger of the sin of hasad, envy the harm it causes, both to oneself as well as others.
Our deen is not just made up of external acts of obedience. Purification and the cleansing of the heart is vital. Otherwise we will be hollow, hypocritical. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look just at our exterior. Praying salah, giving zakah, performing good deeds is all very well and good. But these good deeds may be destroyed by sin, especially in inner sins. And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ actually says of envy. In one hadith, Rasulullah ﷺ says, إِنَّ الْحَسَدَ يَأْكُلُ الْحَسَنَاتِ دَمَا تَأْكُلُ النَّارُ الْحَطَبِ أَوْ قَالَ الْعُشْبِ Imam Abu Dawood relates this hadith from Abu Hurairah The Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, envy consumes good deeds just as fire consumes wood or dry grass. And in another hadith later by Imam Abu Dawud in his sunnah from Anas bin Malik radiyallahu anhu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said inna al-hasada inna al-hasada yutfi nur al-hasanat envy extinguishes, smothers and actually extinguishes the light, the nur of good deeds. So, we may be performing many good deeds externally. Salah, zakah, hajj, song. But the diseases of the heart can actually go a long way to wipe out those good deeds. Remove them altogether. And this is why that, that parable given in the hadith of envy consuming good deeds like fire consumes wood. It doesn't take long for a fire to ignite and then destroy everything in its path. A few centuries ago, we had the Great Fire of London, which destroyed a great part of the city. Many lives were lost, many buildings were destroyed. And it all started from one fire in a baker's. And not just a few centuries ago, even now. In fact, if you consider the words of the Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, إِنَّ الْحَسَدَ يَأْكُلُ الْحَسَنَاتِ كَمَا تَأْكُلُ النَّارُ الْحَطَبِ أَوْ قَالَ الْعُشْبِ Indeed, envy devours. It eats, up, it eats up. It devours good deeds just as fire consumes and devours wood or dry grass. Now, if you imagine dry grass... That burns and ignites quicker, more rapidly and more ferociously than even wood. This is why, not just a few centuries ago, uh, speaking about the Great Fire of London, but even now, all across the world, we hear 
news all the time from huge wildfires burning and raging out of control, destroying lives, livelihoods, livestock, land. In many continents, South America, North America, Africa, Australia, because of these huge savannas and lots of grassland, and we're not just talking about a few square miles, hundreds of square miles, if not thousands. Now, if you imagine such raging infernos, fires destroying everything in their path, this is precisely the parable, the example Rasulullah has given. That, in fact, the beginning of the hadith is, Beware of envy. Be wary of envy. Fear envy. Hasid. For hasid consumes good deeds, devours good deeds. That means we may have many good deeds. Salah, zakah, hajj, siyam, qiyam. And we labor under the assumption and the misunderstanding that that's like an account, it's set. Once you deposit the money in the account, it's safe. Nothing can touch it. So we perform salah. The reward of that salah isn't Allah's bank, isn't Allah's account, our account in Allah's bank. It's reserved, it's set, it's safe. Nothing can touch it. It will never diminish, never be reduced. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a very beautiful example in the Quran. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tubtilu sadaqatikum bilmanni walatha kalladhi yunfiqu maalahu riaa al-naas wa la yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir famathaluhu kamathali safwanin alayhi turabun faasabuhu wabilun fatarakahu salda la yaqdiluna ala shay'in mimma kasab Allah says, O believers, do not destroy your charities. Through boasting, and hurt. Like one who spends his wealth merely to show people, and he does not truly believe in Allah and in the final day. So Allah says, don't destroy your good deeds, don't destroy your sadaqah, your charity. Now how is that possible? If we've given something in charity, the good deed is done, it's gone, it's past. Does that mean that that is reserved in our account with Allah and nothing can touch it? No. Every single good deed of ours still remains in fine balance. Waiting to be verified, ratified, or actually destroyed. Nothing is set. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives the example of how a person's good deeds are. فَمَثَلُهُ كَمَثَلِ صَفْوَانِ عَلَيْهِ التُّرَابِ فَأَصَابَهُ وَابِلْ فَتَرَكَهُ صَلْدَى Allah says his example, his parable, his likeness is that of a smooth rock. Safwan means a very smooth rock. So Allah says his example is like a smooth rock. On that smooth rock is soil. Dust. Not turab 
mainly refers to the dry dust and soil in Arabia, not our wet clay-like soil here. So on that smooth boulder is dust. Now, imagine a smooth boulder with dust, dry soil on top. Is it set in stone? No. It's in a very precarious position. A slight gust of wind, some movement, and the soil falls off. The dust drops. Then Allah says, A rock on which there is soil, dust, and upon that dust, rain falls. Heavy rain. Wabil means a torrent of rain. What happens? That rain leaves the rock bare, totally bare. So how are we to understand this example? Allah then ends a verse with the words, They will have no power over anything that they have earned. It's very simple. The rock is the book of deeds, our account with Allah. That soil is that person's charity. Which he gave. It's not set in stone. It's not deposited in the person's account with Allah. No. It rests precariously on a person's book of deeds. Now, after that good deed, for the rest of his life, many things can happen. There are many contingents. Many things can happen. And he will then either verify and ratify this good deed and continue to secure it, or he will actually do things or end up doing something which removes this good deed from his account, wipes it from his account, destroys it. So the rock is the account of good deeds, the book of good deeds, the dry dust resting precariously on the book of deeds, or on the rock is charity or any good deed. Wabil, that torrent of rain, is either boastfulness, as Allah mentions earlier on, hurting someone because of one's charity, using one's charity as leverage, or doing anything which ultimately destroys the sincerity of that good deed. And that good that Ill deed will totally remove the good deed from a person's account until a person's book of deeds and account is bare, like that bare rock, smooth bare rock. So, in this hadith, Rasulullah says, Beware of envy, for envy consumes, eats up, devours good deeds just like fire consumes wood or dry grass. And in the other hadith related by Abu Dawood, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ الْحَسَدَ يُطْفِي نُورَ الْحَسَنَاتِ Indeed, envy extinguishes the light of good deeds. So, we have to be extremely fearful of envy. And the truth is, envy, we, every one of us is guilty of envy. Every one of us is an envier, and every one of us is envied. No one can deny 
that they are guilty of envy. In Arabic, the envy that I'm speaking of is known as hasad. Just as Allah says in Surah Al-Falaq, وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ So, the envy I'm speaking of is hasad. And in Arabic, a body is known as jasad. So, the Arabs have a saying, لَا يَخْلُوا جَسَدٌ عَنْ حَسَدٍ that no jasad is empty of hasad. Every body, every physical body, has hasad in it. La yakhlu jasadun an hasad. No jasad is empty of hasad. Every single one of us is guilty of envy. And every single one of us, to some degree, is a victim of envy. We envy others. And others envy us. That's a fact. Envy is in us. It's in everyone. And it's everywhere. And it's destructive. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has warned us against the sin of envy, being guilty of envy. And Allah has also shown us how to seek protection from the ill of envy. So in Surah Al-Falaq, he teaches us, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Say, I seek refuge in the Lord of the daybreak. From the evil of what he has created. And from the evil of the night when it settles, i.e. in its complete darkness. And from the evil of the envier when he envies. Because envy is destructive. It can destroy others. But before it destroys others, and more than it destroys others, it destroys a person himself. It really does. Envy is harmful, without doubt. Envy caused problems and hurts for our father Adam, alayhi salam. Envy is what killed his son, Habi, at the hands of his own brother, Qabi. Envy is what, is what led to many of the prophets, والسلام, being rejected by their own people. Envy is what caused the blood brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, the sons of a prophet of Allah, and the grandchildren of a prophet of Allah. And the great-grandchildren of a prophet of Allah. They were the sons of Ya'qub alayhi salam, a prophet, the grandsons of Ishaq alayhi salam, a prophet, and the grandson, the great-grandsons of Ibrahim alayhi salam, a prophet. Such a noble and blessed family. Yet envy led them and incited them to plotting against their own two blood brothers, including Yusuf alayhi salam, initially plotting to kill him. They wanted to kill him. 
اقتلوا يوسف او اطرحوه ارضا يخلو لكم وجه ابيكم that kill yusuf or at least fling him in a land a distant land eventually they threw him into the well and much of the story of yusuf alayhi salam came about as a result of the envy of his own blood brothers envy is what led to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam being opposed in makkah al-mukarramah envy was also one of the reasons why the some of the leading hypocrites rallied against prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam envy has caused problems even for the anbiya alayhi wasallam the prophets of allah so no one is immune from the evil of envy i becoming the victim of envy in fact in a hadith related by Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu and recorded by Imam Tabarani in a number of his books Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually says fa inna kullu ni'matin mahsud for indeed every person of blessing anyone who has been blessed is envied fa inna kullu ni'matin mahsud indeed every person with a blessing is a mahsud meaning others envy him uh, these are the words of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and every one of us has been gifted something by allah we are all blessed to some degree so we ought to be fearful of the vict- uh, of becoming the victim of envy but before that we can't be so selfish and arrogant and egocentric and so self-obsessed and absorbed that we think oh i'm so grand and great everyone envies me yes we can be envied but to varying degrees but before we think about others envying us we actually need to think about our sin and our guilt of envy la yakhlu jasadun an hasad no jasad is empty of hasad every one of us has hasad in him And before I continue I'd just like to clarify what exactly are we talking about when we say envy or jealousy or coveting something In Arabic or in English we normally say jealousy and envy and we use both of them interchangeably and synonymously so he is jealous of him she is jealous of her you are jealous of me we we normally say that but strictly speaking <clears throat> although it's not incorrect to use jealousy synonymously with envy technically and strictly speaking they refer to different things and it's important to know this distinction especially in the discussion of the words of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam So in English we normally just say two things jealousy and envy. Now strictly speaking envy is <clears throat> a pithy way of saying it is that envy is when you get worked up and angry and passionate about what someone else possesses. And jealousy is when you are passionate about what you possess. So a husband or a wife a spouse 
is jealous, i.e. protective and possessive of his or her spouse. That's jealousy. That's proper jealousy. That's the real and original meaning of jealousy. That should have been confused with envy. So a spouse will get worked up, angry and passionate, not because of what someone else has, but because of what they have. So they are passionate about what they possess. They are possessive of it, protective of it. A spouse is possessive and protective and jealous of thee or for thee spouse. Envy is when a person doesn't have something, or maybe has it, it doesn't matter. A person becomes worked up and very passionate about what someone else possesses. So if someone else has a good car, good house, wealth, qualification, degree, job, career, looks, clothes, it doesn't matter. When a person gets worked up, angry, annoyed, and passionate about what someone else has, that's envy. That's a proper meaning of envy. So this meaning of envy in the English language, when a person is passionate about what someone else possesses, in Arabic, this is the meaning of hasad. This is a hasad we're speaking of now. Jealousy, i.e. when a person is passionate about what they have and what they possess. In Arabic, that's known as ghayra or ghira. That's we, we won't be speaking about that. So that's jealousy when a person is passionate about what they possess. Now, jealousy, hasad is... Hasad in the meaning of envy is sinful. Ghayra can be good or bad. In fact, Jabir ibn Atiq radiyallahu an relates a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and others, in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ مِنَ الْغَيْرَةِ مَا يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ وَمِنْهَا مَا يُبْغِضُ اللَّهُ And then later he says, فَأَمَّا الْغَيْرَةُ الَّتِي فَأَمَّا الْغَيْرَةُ الَّتِي يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ فَالْغَيْرَةُ فِي رِيبَةِ وَأَمَّا الَّتِي يُبْغِضُ اللَّهُ فَالْغَيْرَةُ فِي غَيْرِ الرِّيبَةِ Meaning, Prophet said, of غَيْرَةِ of jealousy. There is that which Allah loves, and there is that which Allah dislikes. As for, and then later in the hadith, as for that غَيْرَةِ that Allah likes, it's غَيْرَةِ in da'a. Jealousy in doubt. As for that jealousy which Allah dislikes, it's jealousy without doubt. What does this mean? We learn from this hadith in Islam, غير, jealousy, possessiveness, protectiveness, can be both commended or condemned. Liked by Allah or disliked by Allah. Commended is when there is cause to doubt. So, in the case of a husband and wife, if the spouse, the husband or the wife, is behaving suspiciously, there is circumstantial evidence. There are genuine doubts. There is suspicious behavior. Then this will naturally arouse suspicion. And if this arouses suspicion and the husband or the wife becomes ghayur, becomes passionate, becomes jealous, possessive, 
protective, angry, annoyed, begins inquiring, probing, then because of the genuine doubt, this is actually commended. This is the ghayrah that Allah loves because it shows a person's dignity. But equally so, if there is no doubt and a person is merely, merely being paranoid and suspicious and overprotective, overpossessive, making life hell for the other spouse, for the spouse, even though the spouse is innocent and has given no causal reason for doubt and is not behaving suspiciously. And yet the spouse is still possessive, protective, and is jealous, then this is actually condemned, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes such jealousy. So there is a balance, and I mention this because undoubtedly there are countless cases where a spouse is overprotective, overpossessive, and this possessive, protective, jealous behavior without just cause, without reason, without justification, makes life hell for the, other, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the other spouse. And that's actually haram. It's haram. It's haram to, be, to behave suspiciously. It's haram to be suspicious. Everyone is responsible for their own behavior. So that's ghayrah, that's jealousy. We won't be speaking about jealousy in, in the meaning of ghayrah at all. I'm speaking about hasad. Hasad is that envy when a person becomes passionate and worked up about what someone else has. They aren't possessive or protective about something they have. In English, there's also another type of envy which is innocent, which is benign, but there's no separate word for it. So a person could simply admire something another person has without becoming passionate or without becoming vindictive or harboring ill feeling towards a person. So if someone sees a total stranger and that stranger has something. Now, the person's never going to see them again. They're not a threat to them in any way. And they like what they see. They like what they have. So they make a very innocent, a genuinely sincere and innocent declaration of admiration, approval, congratulation, and an innocent desire to have the same. So they say, oh, mashallah, uh, you've achieved this, you've got this, mashallah, I really admire you. I envy you your success. I envy you your accomplishment. I envy you your achievement. And it's a genuine congratulation. It's very sincere. There's no ill will. And so... In English, you still use the word envy. 
And the person says, I envy you, that meaning I wish I could have something of the same. Without any harm coming to you. And this is a good distinction. Haram envy is when a person becomes passionate about what something someone else has. And they desire for that blessing, for that favour, for that object of their envy to be removed from that person, irrespective of whether they get it or not. That's haram envy. And good envy in English is when a person congratulates someone else or declares to them that I admire or I envy this achievement of yours, I envy your achievement, they bear no ill will to them. What they wish is that I could have the same without that blessing being removed from the other person. So in English, there's no real word to distinguish between the two. But in Arabic, there is. So in Arabic, sinful envy is hasad where a person becomes passionate about what someone else has and actually wants it removed from them, regardless of whether they get it or not. So if someone has more money, we burn from within. Why has he got that? Why does he have that? Why him? How I wish he no longer has it. Now, imagine, would they be happy if they got the same? No. They would still be angry because the other person's got it. Would they be happy if they got it or not, but it was removed from the other person? Most definitely. That's the haram envy. That's hasad. Benign envy, where a person wants the same thing without any harm coming to the other person, in Arabic it's known as ghibta. It's known as ghibta. So there's actually a specific word for it. So we have ghayra, which I won't be speaking of because that's about jealousy, being passionate about and possessive and protective of what you have. We won't be speaking about that. We will be speaking about ghibta, which is benign envy, but inshallah I'll speak about that in the next dars. And today I'll focus on hasad, which is the evil, sinful envy which Allah and His Rasul have warned us against. So, every one of us is guilty of envy, and we can equally be a victim of envy. No one has been saved. Adam alayhi salam Shaytan, many ulama have said, one of the first sins to be committed in the heavens, in the, in the sky, was envy. Iblis was arrogant. Allah told him, prostrate to Adam. He refused. Fastakbar, Allah says. He was arrogant. Allah asked him, I commanded you to prostrate to Adam. Why didn't you? His reply was, "Ana khayrun min." I am better than him. "Khalaqtani min nari wa khalaqtahu min tin." You created me from fire, and you created him from clay. I, I am better than him. Why should I prostrate to him? 
So alongside the sin of arrogance, Iblis was envious of the honor and respect that Adam السلام, received from Allah. That Allah commanded everyone to prostrate. So ulama say one of the first sins to be committed in the heavens was hasad, envy. Eventually, because of that envy and that arrogance, Iblis plotted against Adam السلام, He was sent down to earth. And on earth, Adam alayhi salam had children. And this is actually mentioned in the Quran. It's a long story. Allah says and recite to them the story of the two sons of Adam. At that time, there were only two sons. A question of marriage arose. So who was entitled to the lady's hand in marriage? Both sons of Adam, alayhi salam, were commanded to give an offering to Allah. A qurbani. So qurbani, although some people say qurbani is a very Urdu word, it's an Asian word. And at the time of Eid al-Adha, some people are very particular about saying udhiya. And they refrain from using the word qurbani. And some actually corrected, don't say qurbani, it's a very Asian word. It comes from Qurban is an Arabic word. So both both of them offered a Qurbani. The Qurban. But only the offering of one of the two brothers was accepted by Allah. The other wasn't. That meant he wasn't entitled to marry. The girl in question. What did that do? He was envious. Marriage. I want to marry her. Why was he chosen to marry her? Why not me? So his response. I will most assuredly kill you. And that's what he did. Envy was one of the first sins in the heavens. Envy was one of the first sins on earth. Envy is destructive. Envy led to the murder of one of the sons of Adam. The prophets of Allah, when they came with their message, And they told the people, believe in us. Many of the elite, the rich, the powerful, the wealthy, the nobility, they refused. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually gives one of the reasons for their refusal to believe. 
Allah says when a sign came to them, When the sign came to them, a sign which should have made them believe immediately, because it couldn't be refuted, they said, we will never believe until we are given the like of what the messengers of Allah have been given. Because their objection was, why him? And this was constantly repeated by many of the peoples regarding their messengers. That if Allah wanted to send a messenger, a prophet, to communicate with us, then he should have sent an angel. Why, did he send, why didn't he send an angel? They said that about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam too. That why, if Allah wanted to communicate with us, did he choose him? And this is about most of the messengers. And they said, we won't believe until we are given the like, the same of what these messengers have been given. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in reply, Allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu Allah knows far better where to place his prophethood. Who to make a prophet. And this is exactly what happened with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, speaking of the earlier prophets, Hasad is what led to the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam being persecuted. And his story is amazing. He saw a dream. And he related that dream to his father, as Allah quotes in the very beginning of Surah Yusuf. Ya abati inni ra'aytu ahda ashara kawkaba wa shamsa wal qamar, ra'aytuhum li sajideen. Oh my father, so Yusuf alayhi salam told his father, Ya'qub alayhi salam, oh my father, I saw 11 stars and the sun and the moon, or 11 planets, or 11 planetary heavenly bodies. 11 heavenly bodies. Because in Arabic, gokab simply means a heavenly body. It can refer to a star, it can refer to a planet. And the sun and the moon, I saw all of them prostrating to me. Ultimately, the interpretation of that was his father and mother and brothers. What was his father's reply? Oh my child, do not relate your dream to your brothers, lest they then plot against you. Verily, the devil is a clear enemy for man. If you relate this dream to your brothers, They will plot and scheme against you. They were already jealous of him. I use the word again. They were already envious of him. And Yusuf was warned by his father that if you relate this dream to them, they will plot against you. They will harm you. 
And that's because of shaitan. Shaitan will. Shaitan is a clear enemy. Shaitan creates these divisions. And this is why I'll explain this in more detail next week. But one of the ways of protecting oneself from envy is to be very quiet, silent, and private. And not to be a show-off. Don't make a display. Don't share or show everything. It's, it's fact. Imam Tabak in that hadith which I quoted earlier, the beginning of the hadith is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, seek assistance in the successful conclusion of your needs by concealment. So where you need to conceal things. I good things, where you need to conceal good things. For indeed, every person of blessing or favor is envied. One shouldn't go around just showing and sharing. And in fact, in a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi from a companion called Abu Razin, Rasulullah speaks about good dreams. And he says, a good dream of a pious, of a believer is one forty-sixth of prophethood. And then the hadith continues. Then at the end of the hadith, Prophet ﷺ says, وَلَا يُحَدِّثُ بِهَا إِلَّا لَبِيبًا أَوْ حَبِيبًا That a man should only relate a good dream to a person of great intelligence, i.e. someone who can interpret it, أو حَبِيبًا or to a beloved person. Only a trustworthy, beloved person. If people can react in a hostile manner and react maliciously because of a dream, imagine how people are going to react and how shaitan is going to be able to get people to react because of what they see in you or of you or about you in real life, not just a dream. Yusuf saw a dream, his father, a prophet of Allah, said, don't share your dream even with your own brothers. They will plot against you. In this hadith of Tirmidhi, the Prophet said, of a dream that a person who sees a good dream should not share that good dream with anyone except two people, Labib or Habib. وَلَا يُحَدِّثُ بِهَا إِلَّا لَبِيبًا أَوْ حَبِيبًا Labib is a person of lub, meaning great intelligence. And what's the meaning of great intelligence here? Someone who can interpret the dream for you. Or a beloved. And one shouldn't assume that, oh, mashallah, he loves me, she loves me, everyone loves me. Yaqub said to his son, don't tell your own brothers. فَيَكِيدُوا لَكَ كَيْدَا Lest they plot against you. And in the hadith of Tabarani from Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, seek assistance through concealment in bringing about the successful conclusion and fruition to your needs. I.e. be quiet, 
be subdued, be private. Don't share and don't show off. Don't share and show everything. And we all make that mistake. Because you may be doing it very sincerely and innocently. And initially the other person may not be envious. But if your bliss gets to them, if their nafs gets to them, then their love can change to hate. Their admiration can change to malice very easily. Because the two are connected. Hatred and hasad are connected in a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan and others from Zubayr ibn Awam radiyallahu an. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Dabba ilaykum da'ul umami qablakum al-hasadu wal-baghdaa. The disease of the nations of yore, the disease of the nations of before has crept into you. This is why I say every one of us is guilty of it. We may think I'm clear, I'm innocent, I'm free of the sin of envy. It has crept into us without us realising. The disease of the nations of yore has crept into you. And what is that disease? Al-hasad. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, وَالْبَغْضَاءُ هِيَ الْحَالِقَةِ لَا أَقُولُ تَحْلِقُ الشَّعْرِ وَلَكِنْ تَحْلِقُ الدِّينِ And hatred, malice, i.e. has also crept into you. And that malice is the shaver. Malice, hatred is the shaver. I do not say, the Prophet ﷺ continues, I do not say it shaves hair. Rather, it shaves religion. Exactly what I was saying before. Good deeds are not set in stone. That I do a good deed, it's there, recorded, in my account, deposited. No change will ever come to it. No. Just as sins, including hasad, Wipe away a person's good deeds. Devour good deeds like fire devours wood or dry grass. Baghdad, hatred, and the two are connected. Hatred and hasad. Malice and envy are both connected. Hatred, in a similar fashion, shaves a person's religion. Total removal. We are embarrassed by being bald. Imagine... Our book of deeds being bare and bald. Totally. We do many good deeds. We are guilty of hatred. Hatred will shave our book of deeds, leaving it bald. We perform many good deeds and we are guilty of the sin of envy. Envy will consume with fire our good deeds. Leaving it rubble, stubble. In fact, nothing totally bare. So hatred and hasad are connected. So you may be relating and sharing a good thing sincerely and innocently with someone you perceive to be a good friend. And initially they may bear no envy towards you. But shaitan gets to them. Their admiration turns to envy, malicious envy, not benign envy. 
and then that envy leads to hatred. In fact, in a hadith related by Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi, as I said, the two are connected. Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi, relates a hadith in his Sahih, and so do others. From Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas, radiyallahu anhumah, it's a very beautiful hadith. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when, Rome, when Persia and Rome shall be conquered, what kind of people will you be? When Persia and Rome are conquered, he's addressing the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. When Persia and Rome are conquered, what kind of people will you be? So Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, we shall say what Allah has commanded us to say. One of the meanings is we will be grateful to Allah. Prophet sallallahu said, Awa ghayra thalik, tatanafasoon, thumma tatahasadoon, thumma tadadabaroon, thumma tatabaroon. What? Abdurrahman ibn when Persia and Rome shall be conquered, what kind of people will you be? Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu said, O Messenger of Allah, we shall say what Allah has commanded us to say. One of the meanings is we shall be grateful to Allah. So the Prophet said, Really? Or will it be something other than this? What will happen? You will rival each other, vie with each other, and compete with each other, i.e. in the dunya. Then you will become envious of each other. Then you will turn your backs to each other. Then you shall come to hate each other. Hasad and Baghdad go hand in hand. Hatred and envy. Envy leads to hatred. Hatred leads to envy. Both are parts of a vicious cycle. So, going back to the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, one lesson we can learn from there about Hasid is try to protect others from the whispers of shaitan and from the temptation of shaitan by being a bit more discreet and private and subdued and quiet about your own achievements about your own belongings, your possessions. Don't make a show and a display of everything. Don't share everything. And that means you don't even say things like, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, Allah has given me this. Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, Allah has given me that. It doesn't matter whether you preface it with the praise of Allah. It doesn't matter. Envy sees straight through the praise of Allah too. So it's best to be private, best to be quiet, be discreet. There's no need to make a show and display of everything. No need to share everything. So Yusuf alayhi salam, and that's what the Prophet says in that hadith, do not, you shouldn't share the dream with, except with an intelligent person, i.e. a person of interpretation. Or a beloved. And even about interpretation, I'll quickly say in passing, please, 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 do not go to anyone and everyone for an interpretation of your dreams. First of all, we overrate dreams. That's a fact. 
We overrate our dreams. And number two, when we see a dream, we rush with it to seek its interpretation. And 99.99% of the time is to unqualified people. And those unqualified people say anything. They do. They just say absolutely anything. And the tragedy is, it's painful, because I've dealt with so many cases. The tragedy is that people actually act on what others say. And this is the same with istikhara. I'll just share one story with you. There's an alim, an alim, hafid and an alim. He got married to an alima, a graduate in Islamic studies. Both of them. They had children, mashallah. They had their disagreements and differences. Which marriage is without its differences? Which marriage is without its disagreements? Even the marriages of Rasulullah had their disagreements. So they had their disagreements as a result of which they separated partially in the sense that the wife went back to her parents. With that time apart, both came to realize what they truly meant to each other, how important their marriage was for the sake of their children and for themselves. They were reminded that time apart helped them to heal and to realize what they meant to each other. So they both spoke and discussed and agreed that she will go back to the marital home and they will continue as normal. But the family of the girl, which actually included some ulama and graduates, They said, no, we will do istikhara to see if she should go back. So she's saying, I want to go back. They're saying, no, we will do istikhara for you. So they then contact. So they didn't do istikhara themselves. They contacted a dreamer, a professional mustakhir for hire. So these are people, others pay them to do istikhara. So they ring them up or they go to see them. And they say, we want you to do istikhara. The person says, okay, about what? And two decades ago, the, the going rate was two, three hundred pounds per person. And they can do multiple. So any one night, they can do multiple istikharas. 
So they contacted one of these professional mustakhirs for hire. And they said to him, this is the situation. Can you do istikhara? So he said, call me tomorrow. And that's what they do. They, they claim that they pray two raka'at, salatul istikhara at night, and then they go to bed, of course, having received their payment. As they say, some people, uh, you can't get them out of bed unless you pay them. These guys, you can't get them into bed until you pay them. So he went to sleep, woke up the next morning, they contacted him by phone. I'm, I'm familiar with this story, so I know, I know the family, I know the individuals. I know the professional mustakhir. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And it's painful, it's tragic. So the next morning they contacted him. And he just casually. The wife wants to get back with the husband. He wants to get back with her. They have children. But the family is holding her hostage. And they are being held hostage by this professional mustakhir for hire. Next morning they contacted him and rather casually and dismissively he just said to them on the phone, yeah, I did istikhara. And the answer is no. The family forbade her, prevented her forcibly from going back to her husband. A marriage was destroyed. Children's lives were destroyed. Because of this obsession with people's dreams and the interpretation of dreams. And this is just one story. غَيْضٌ min fayd, as they say in Arabic. A drop from a torrent that I deal with and that I'm aware of. We overrate dreams. We really do. And I've spoken about this on many occasions. So when you see a good dream, keep it to yourself. One. And act on what the Prophet ﷺ says. Do not speak of it except to a labib or a habib, a person of intelligence, someone who can interpret it, or a beloved. Let the beloved be a true beloved, and let the labib be a true labib, a person of true intelligence, scholarship, knowledge, sincerity, piety, and taqwa. And these false interpretations have destroyed people's lives. Wallahi, I was aware of another case where the person told me themselves. The person saw a dream. In the dream, it's a girl. She saw a dream that in her dream she married Funa, such and such a person. It was a very vivid dream. She in her, Allah alam, why? But she went to one of these, he, he, he was known to be an alim. She went to this alim and said to him, uh, I saw this dream and I saw Funa. And he knows Funa as well. So he knew the other person. And in my dream, I saw that I'm getting married to him. Wallahi, I do not lie. This is no joke. Do you know what his interpretation was? He said, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah. The interpretation of this dream is that you should marry me. I do not lie. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. 
He actually told her the interpretation is that you marry me. And she was actually confused because people repose their trust and confidence in people that they regard as ulama. And I'm not making an advertisement. I don't want to be, I don't need to be bothered. I don't have time. So I'm not saying come to me with dreams. I'm not saying that at all. I actually say just keep it to yourself. The interpretation will happen anyway. Whatever Allah has will, will happen anyway. If you can find a Labib, go to a Labib. If you can find a Habib, go to a Habib. Allahu Akbar. So people trust ulama. And she was initially confused and he pursued her by, he really pursued her for months before she came to some sort of realization through his antics and his behavior that khayr. And like I said, I've dealt with so many cases where there have been, there's been an over-reliance on dreams and interpretations. Just keep it to yourself. Don't share it. Act on the advice of Ya'qub alayhi salam. Act on the advice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I'll end with just one part, meaning this section, that Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah was a brother-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His sister was married to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Hafsa radiyallahu anha. His father was Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. His uncle was Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu Great people. And he was a young man, pure and innocent. He had embraced Islam even before his age of puberty. He was a Muslim from childhood. And he loved the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He would hover around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa all day long, frequent the house of his sister, come in and out to learn from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Imagine how pure a soul he was. And at night, he wouldn't sleep at home, he would sleep in, the mas- in Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Now imagine this young man, pure of faith, pure of soul, having never known a day of jahiliyyah. The son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, the nephew of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu And I say the nephew of Uthman ibn Mad'un, why? Because Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu was a truly great companion, a true great ascetic. When he passed away, the Prophet ﷺ stood over him, spoke to him, and said, O oh Uthman, you left the world in such a state that the dunya did not touch you and you did not touch the dunya. And he wept and he bowed, meaning he bent over and he kissed Uthman ibn Mud'un on his forehead. And then when he was buried, he buried him in Jannatul Baqir. And he said, bring a stone or a rock so that I may mark his grave. Why? 
This was, these are the words of the Messenger وسلم, He said, so that when my family members pass away and are to be buried, I would like to bury them next to Uthman ibn Mud'un. So he was a nephew of Uthman ibn Mud'un, the, the brother of Hafsa, عنها, the son of Umar ibn Khattab, the brother-in-law of Rasulullah All day he would spend around the Messenger وسلم, At night, he would sleep in Masjid al-Nabi if anyone would see a good dream, it was him. And yet Imam Bukhari, rahmatullah, did relates and so to others that he would say, I would never see dreams. And the Prophet wasallam would ask us, if anyone's seen a dream, share it. And I really wanted to see a dream so that I could share it. I never saw dreams. So I prayed to Allah saying, oh Allah, if there is any good in me, show me a good dream. Eventually, he saw a magnificent dream, truly. The angels took him on a tour of the heavens and much happened in that dream. He was elated. He shared the dream with his sister first, who then told the Prophet ﷺ. Later, he told him himself, what was the interpretation of Rasulullah ﷺ? This elaborate, long Beautiful dream of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's interpretation. A magnificent dream and a succinct interpretation. His interpretation was, he told his sister, meaning he told his wife, the sister of Ibn Umar, so that she could tell him. The Prophet's interpretation sallallahu alayhi wasallam was, Abdullah is a good man. If only he would pray at night. Bas. That's the interpretation. After that day, Ibn Umar would never miss salah at night. Despite sleeping in the Masjid al-Nabi, being who he was in this whole background, having to make dua to Allah, Allah, if there is any good in me, show me a dream. He saw one dream, and that was the interpretation. Subhanallah. We are nowhere... Far away from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are who we are, we live where we live, we live in the period that we live in. What is it about us? Is it something we eat that we see so many dreams? Or is it that we watch and we see so many dreams? And we go running with these dreams to false interpreters. And these false interpreters provide, who are neither Labib nor Habib, and they provide false interpretations. And we act on these interpretations, wrecking our lives. Wallahi, we wreck our lives. Yaqub told his son, don't share your dream even with your brothers. Otherwise, it will plot against you. Just like that, Alim. She said, I saw that I married him. And he began plotting straight away. <laughs> the interpretation is that you marry me. The brothers envied Yusuf and it led to his attempted murder, his being cast in the well, his being banished from his own land, the pain of his own father. The blindness of his father, the envy of the brothers caused the blindness of their father, Yaqub alayhi salam. 
and his eyes became white, i.e. sightless, through grief. What the Qur'an tells us, stress causes bad eyesight. Stress exacerbates and compounds poor eyesight. That's the story of Yusuf, alayhi salam. And then the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he announced his prophethood, the people of Quraysh. They envied him. The people of Medina, some of them envied him. They refused to believe in him. They caused him hurt and pain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of the people of Mecca that when the Prophet announces Islam to them and uh, announced Islam to them and invited them, when he read the Quran to them, one of their replies was, وَقَالُوا لَوْ لَا نُزِّلَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنُ عَلَىٰ رَجْلٍ مِّنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ عَظِيمٍ They said, same as before, why him? And this is, this is the thing about hasad. Part of the nature of hasad, envy is, a person, envy arises from anger, it arises from arrogance, it arises from a sense of entitlement. So a person thinks, why should he have that? Why should she have that? I should have it. And if I don't have it, he shouldn't have it. She shouldn't have it. So there's a sense of arrogance, entitlement. Iblis said, min, I am better than him. When Allah told him to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. Arrogance. He envied Adam alayhi salam. So... The Quraysh, the people of Mecca said, if Allah wanted to choose a prophet, why not send an angel? And if he wanted to choose a human being, then why him? Why Muhammad ibn Abdullah from the clan of Banu Hashim? He is neither the wealthiest amongst us, nor is he the most powerful or influential amongst us. He's just one of us. What does he have that we don't? So if Allah truly wanted to reveal the Qur'an, and this is the meaning of this verse, وَقَالُوا and they said, لَوْلَا نُزِّلَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ Why wasn't this Qur'an revealed? عَلَىٰ رَجْلٍ مِّنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ عَظِيمِ Upon a great man of the two cities. The two cities meaning Mecca and Ta'if. And according to a number of narrations, the two most famous names that are mentioned, who were the two men that they wanted to have received the Qur'an other than the Prophet The man from Mecca was Al-Walid ibn Mughira, Khalid ibn Al-Walid's father. Because since he was one of the greatest leaders of the Quraysh, one of the most senior in age and in position, he was their senior. Wise, intelligent, rich, powerful, influential. He held sway and command. A man of eloquence. So they said, why wasn't Al-Walid ibn Mughira made a prophet? Why didn't he receive the Qur'an from Mecca? Or why wasn't Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi from the tribe of Banu Thaqi, from Ta'if, a very wise, intelligent man? He later became Muslim and died a shaheed. But initially, he only became Muslim much, much later. And he was instrumental in the story of the Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, the truce of Hudaybiyah. But then... He had come to live in Mecca because his wife was related to the people of Mecca. He was, married, he was related to them through marriage. He was originally from Ta'if 
and from the tribe of Banu Thaqif. So they said, the other man, i.e. Urwat ibn Mas'ud from Ta'if. So why wasn't the Qur'an revealed to a great man from one of these two cities? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's reply is, أَهُمْ يَقْسِمُونَ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّكَ What? Do they distribute the mercy of your Lord? And this is the nature of hasad. We are objecting to Allah's distribution. Allah gives to whom he wills, withholds to whom, from whom he wills in his wisdom. This is why a poet says, أَلَا قُلْ لِمَنْ ظَلَّ لِي حَاسِدًا أَتَدْرِي عَلَى مَنْ أَسَأْتَ الْأَدَبَ Lo, say to one who remains envious of me. Do you realize who you have been insolent to? أَسَأْتَ عَلَى اللَّهِ فِي حُكْمِهِ إِذَا لَمْ تَرْضَ لِي مَا وَهَبَ You have been insolent to Allah in His judgment and in His decision because you have not been content about what He, Allah, has bestowed on me. So, أَهُمْ يَقْسِمُونَ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّكَ What do they divide? The mercy of your Lord. And when the Prophet ﷺ went to Madinatul Munawwara, some of the people of Medina envied him. And they said the same thing, that he claims to be a messenger of Allah, but he's like this, he has this, he has that. It was actually to do with his marriage. So specifically about the marriages of Rasulullah ﷺ, when some people raise an objection, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse, أَمْ يَحْسُدُونَ النَّاسَ عَلَى مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ what? Are they envious of people? Do they envy people that which Allah has given them of his grace and bounty? What Allah has given them of his bounty. This is why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud used to say, Do not be enemies of the gifts and blessings of Allah. So it was said to him, how can we be enemies of the blessings of Allah? He said, do not be envious of people that which Allah has bestowed upon them of his bounty and grace. If you envy people, then you are envious and you are then an enemy of the blessings of Allah. It's true. أَهُمْ يَقْسِمُونَ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّكَ Allah said, do they distribute the... Mercy of your Lord. Allah continues. We have distributed their livelihood between them in the worldly life. And we have elevated some of them over others in ranks so that they may take each other in employment. This is the wisdom of Allah's creation. In the dunya, which is an abode of testing, it's an abode of trial, of tribulation. 
It's an abode of dependence, not independence. No one is independent. We are all dependent. We are dependent on each other. We are dependent on Allah. We are dependent on the creation and on the creator. Allah has given all of us strengths and weaknesses. No one is perfect. We are all reliant on each other. We are all small cogs in a huge machine. Only by working in cooperation and in conjunction with others will this machine run smoothly and successfully. Individually, we cannot survive, let alone thrive. And thus, Allah says, we have raised some of you over others so that you may take each other in employment. We all need each other. No one person can do everything. You might be a car mechanic, but when you fall ill and you need heart surgery, you're not a heart surgeon. You go to someone else. You might be a builder, but you might not know anything about electricity. You're not an electrician. Every field has its experts. Except Islam. Everyone's an expert. So the mechanic is an expert on the Qur'an and Hadith, and the doctor is an expert on the Qur'an and Hadith and Fiqh. And the bricklayer is an expert on the Qur'an and Hadith and Fiqh. And the farmer is an expert on the Qur'an, Hadith and Fiqh. I say a mechanic because one alim, he writes in his book that the local mechanic from the garage came to debate with him. And he's a scholar of hadith. Came to debate with him. And he was a mechanic from the local garage. So, I say that sarcastically, obviously, that we aren't experts in everything. We all rely on each other, are dependent on each other, need each other. This is why Allah has given us different grades in his wisdom. Allah, has given, Allah hasn't given everyone everything. We all need each other. And therefore, why should we be envious of the division and the distribution of Allah? Allah divides and distributes and spreads in his wisdom. When Allah gives one thing, Allah withholds another thing as well. Truly, I've mentioned about Allama Anwar Shah al-Kashmiri, rahimahullah, an absolute genius with a prodigious and photographic memory, photographic memory. This man could memorize entire books of hadith, of fiqh, of different sciences, but he wasn't a hafiz of the Qur'an. Allah withheld from him the Qur'an, the memorization of the Qur'an. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was who he was. But Allah says of him in the Qur'an, وَمَا عَلَّمْنَاهُ الشِّعْرَ وَمَا We did not teach him poetry, and it is not befitting him. And this is why the Arabs would say, كُلُّ بَنِي عَبْدِ مَنَافِ شَاعِرُ 
illa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All of the children of Abdul Manaf, the grand clan of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was from Banu Hashim. And he had, his clan had three sister clans. Banu Nawfal, Banu Muttalib, and Banu Abd shams These were the four sons of Abdul Manaf. They were Hashim, Nawfal, Muttalib, and Abd shams And their father was Abdul Manaf. And his father was Qusay. Qusay was the one who conquered Makkah al-Mukarramah and took it from the leadership and the control of the Banu Khuza'ah. And he then secured it for the Quraysh. And his son, Qusay, sorry, Qusay was the one who did this. His son, Abdul Manaf, became his most powerful, influential, and famous and prominent son. And his four sons became the most powerful and famous, and they held most of the offices in the city of Mecca. And this is why, for hundreds of centuries, whether it was a Banu Umayyah, or whether it was a Banu Abbas, whether it was the Abbasids or the Umayyads, leadership, empire, kingship, monarchy in the Muslim world rested for approximately 600 years only in the sons of Abdul Manaf. Because the Banu Umayyah, the Umayyads, were from the clan of Abdul Shams. So their ancestor was Abdul Manaf. So Uthman ibn Affan, and Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, uh, Abu Sufyan himself, and all of the Umayyads were from the clan of Abdul Shams, one of the sons of Abdul Manaf. The Abbasids were from the sons of Al Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib from Banu Hashim, and they were from the sons of Abdul Manaf. In any case, this was a huge clan that was powerful, prominent, influential, wise. They were all natural poets, every one of them. So the Arabs would say every individual in the whole sub tribe of Abdul Manaf was a poet, with the exception of just one person. And that one person was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا عَلَّمْنَاهُ الشِّعْرَ وَمَا يَنْبَغِيلَ And we have not taught him poetry, and nor is it befitting him. Allah in his wisdom made others poets, and he made Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam such that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam could not recite poetry, compose poetry, could not recall poetry, could not cite poetry, even about himself. So Allah in his wisdom gives and takes, withholds and provides so that we are all dependent on each other. Why should we be envious of what someone has? We're always looking at others. I want to be in his shoes. I want to be in her shoes. I want to be where he is, where she is. Truly, no one knows the other person's pain, what they are going through. We see the exterior. what goes through their heart and mind, what has happened to them in life, what will happen to them in life, what they have suffered and endured. This is the nature of life. This is why Yusuf said, 
And this is the khulasa of Surah Yusuf. Indeed, he who is wary and fearing of Allah and who is patient and perseverant, then indeed Allah does not allow the reward of those who do good to go to waste. He doesn't. And it doesn't mean that that reward will be seen in this dunya. This is an abode of trial and tribulation. So in this dunya, and this is why Allah says, right at the end of this verse, that we have elevated some of you over others, so that you may take each other in employment. But, so what if someone's better than you in the dunya? Allah ends this verse by saying, وَرَحْمَةُ رَبِّكَ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ And the mercy of your Lord is far better than what they accumulate and gather. So what if someone's richer? It doesn't mean anything. A lot more can be said, inshallah. I'll continue with the topic of envy next week. And I'll discuss a few more hadith and verses of the Qur'an regarding envy. And then most importantly... I'll also speak about how envy is so destructive to us and what Allah and His Rasul say about that and how we should work towards eradicating this disease of envy from our hearts. And not just for religious purposes. If someone says, well, you know, all of this uh, reward in the akhirah and purification of the heart, I'm not interested in all of that. As the late boxer Muhammad Ali said, I don't want no pie in the sky when I die. I want something now on the ground whilst I'm still around. So, I don't want no pie in the sky when I die. I want it now on the ground whilst I'm still around. So if someone has that attitude that I'm not interested in all this reward and akhirah and eradication of these diseases of the heart, you know, I just want something... Uh, well, even from a purely religious, a non-religious, worldly perspective, envy is destructive. It truly is. It robs you of your peace of mind. It robs you of your sleep. And even if a person's non-religious, in fact, doesn't believe in the Akhirah, doesn't believe in Allah and His Rasul وسلم, or the Qur'an, there are many philosophies and religious traditions of the world. Buddhism, ancient Eastern philosophies, that actually teach something very similar, which is contentment, peace of mind, tranquility, serenity, peace of heart. How? One of the roads to this tranquility and serenity and peace of mind and peace of heart is not to covet what others have, is not to be envious of what others have, not to want what others have. When a person learns that lesson, they can be at peace. They can be at peace, no matter what a person has or doesn't have. So, inshallah, I'll speak about this next week too. May Allah Azza wa Jal enable us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those 
who are protected from the sin of envy in their hearts and also protected from the evil of envy at the hands of others.